This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. What a glorious morning of worship. Isn't it wonderful to experience God in worship and praise with the body of Christ? Now it feels like that's been a theme this morning so far. And I appreciate the remarks of Dwayne. I appreciate Clint's prayer. It all, as usual, is God funneling in and building up to a message that I believe that he wants us to discuss this morning. Because for those of us who have tasted worship like we have here, the enjoyment, the peace, the fulfillment, sometimes those same people will lose their appetite for life, for the church, for God, despite that sweetness that they've tasted. That's happened in my life before. Sometimes it sneaks up on you and you don't realize that it's going on. You just find yourself in that state. And it may have happened in yours. That might be where you find yourself this morning. And I want to share, you, share with you a story of such a man. It was a bright Sunday morning in 18th century London, but Robert Robinson's mood was anything but sunny. All along the street there were people hurrying to church, but in the midst of the crowd, Robinson was a lonely man. The sound of church bells reminded him of years past when his faith in God was strong, and the church was an integral part of his life. It had been years since he set foot in a church, years of wandering, disillusionment, and gradual defection from the God he once loved. That love for God, once fiery and passionate, had slowly burned out within him, leaving him dark and cold inside. Well, Robinson, as he's walking, he hears the clip-clop, clip-clop of a horse-drawn cab approaching him from behind. And turning, he lifted his hand to hail the cab driver, but then he saw that the cab was already occupied by a young woman dressed in finery for the Lord's Day. So he waved the driver on. He didn't want company. But the woman in the carriage ordered that it be stopped. And she called out, Sir, I'd be happy to share this carriage with you. Are you going to church? Robinson was about to decline. But then he paused and, Yes, he said at last, I'm going to church. So he stepped in the carriage And he sat down beside the young woman. And as the carriage rolled forward, Robert Robinson and the woman exchanged introductions and there was a flash of recognition in her eyes when he stated his name. Well, that's an interesting coincidence, she said. Reaching into her purse, she withdrew a small book of inspirational verse, opened it to a ribbon bookmark, and she handed it to him. I was just reading a verse by a poet named Robert Robinson. Could it be that... Yes... He took the book, nodding. I wrote these words years ago. Oh, how wonderful, she exclaimed. Imagine, I'm sharing a carriage with the author of these very lines. But Robinson, he barely heard her. He was absorbed in the words that he was reading. They were words that would one day be set to music and become a great hymn of faith, familiar to generations of Christians, familiar to us to this day. This was in the late 1700s, by the way. Come thou fount of every blessing, Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. 
Robinson's eyes slip down to the bottom of that page to a verse that's been removed from the song in many of today's iterations. It says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He could barely read those last few lines through because of the tears that had begun to brim in his eyes. I wrote these words and I've lived these words. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. The woman suddenly understood and she said, well, you also wrote, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. You can offer your heart again to God, Mr. Robinson. It's not too late. And it wasn't too late for Robert Robinson. In that moment, he turned his heart back to God. He went off to church and he walked with him for the rest of his days and did many great things for the Lord. That's a true story. As so many of our hymns have true, miraculous stories of faith attached to them. And it's one of the reasons why we still sing these hymns today, because there's lessons in these words. The title for today's message is Prone to Wonder. And perhaps like Robert Robinson, this is true of you. I know it's true of me. I chose this topic because there are two things that are always going to be true in our walk with the Lord. One, our sin has been forgiven and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Two, sin will remain a problem in our lives so long as we live in this fallen world. But we don't have to be afraid to deal with it. And so, this morning, I want to discuss a few things about this. I want to point out, first of all, that sin is like a foreign infection. It's a foreign agent trying to infect our spiritual bodies in Christ. And sometimes we will get sick or wounded due to its presence. When that happens, we need to know how to respond. There are some of us here who'd rather suffer than go to the doctor, right? Uh, sometimes we're fearful of the treatment. Sometimes we're just fearful of the diagnosis and we would rather remain ignorant. Sometimes... We don't want to hear about the changes that we will have to make in order to get healthy again. All of these things are true of me. In the end, we can make the problem worse through our failure to address it, right? When it comes to being sick with sin, it's so important that we know and remember how to treat the wound, treat the sickness, so that it heals and that we can be returned to fruitful service to the Lord. We need to be healed so that we can experience the peace and the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. When we're sick, we're usually not fit for work. And our time is too short, it's too important to be unnecessarily laid up in bed while the harvest is coming in. And look around in this world, the harvest is ripe, the time to gather is running short whether that be in our lives or whether it be reaching out to the world. This is not a lesson meant to chastise and berate about sin, but it's meant to take heed of the great physician and receive healing. Because we all need it. If we don't need it right this moment, we will need it soon. Liable, uh, or probably we needed it this morning before we came to church and we'll need it today after we go home and we'll need it throughout the week. It's a constant thing. So let's examine one of the hard things this morning that's found in the Bible, the problem of sin 
and its effect on the believer. Yes, even saved men are sometimes affected by, infected by sin. There's a false doctrine that says that Christians should be able to live life without sin. That is a lie. It is a lie of condemnation from Satan, meant to trip us up, meant to make us question our salvation, meant to make us ineffective as tools. You, as a believer, will sin over and over and over. And it might be the same sin over and over and over. But there's a treatment for this. Uh, Solomon said he was, the, he was made the wisest man ever to live, past, present, or future, by God himself. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Paul, arguably one of the greatest, most influential, capable Christians to ever live, said in Romans 7, 15. This is a different translation than the King James. Hear it this way. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I've discovered this principle in life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And with sin, there oftentimes comes feelings of guilt. We experience guilt because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. We can sense that as saved Christians. When we return to the sin from which we have been set free... The Holy Spirit goes with us as an unwilling witness to any defilement that we bring to God's temple, our bodies. And friend, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, He does not stay silent, does He? David said in Psalms 32, verses 3 through 4, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. The King James Version says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Sin brings a burden that is not only heavy, it's corrosive. It's like leeching the strength from our bones until they're brittle and they would break under even light strain. That's what sin does to our spiritual body. Unchecked, unconfessed sin in the life of a Christian is a wasting illness that will take a greater toll than even the worst cancer. Cancer of sin robs a man of his physical and spiritual health when it is allowed to remain in our lives. And it's made worse by the fact that this world and increasingly, the church, they don't want to discuss the politically incorrect problem of sin or discuss what's right and wrong. David saw this, and he poured out his heart in a prayer about it. That prayer is found in Psalm chapter 51, Psalm 51, and from this prayer, we will take the text of this morning's lesson. And I want to start by saying, 
what is obvious to the believer, but that needs reminding. We cannot cleanse ourselves, yet we must submit to cleansing. In verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. In David's prayer, we find a desperate plea. He says, have mercy, Lord, for my sin haunts me. It hounds me. No matter where I go, there it is. It seems as though I am sin. When I turn away from sin, I find I'm facing it again. Sin has consumed me. Do you ever feel like that about sin in your life? Sometimes our, our sin feels too great. Maybe it feels too repetitive to deal with. And as we let it sit and fester in our lives, it causes us to waste away spiritually and physically. You don't think sin takes an effect on your physical body? It does. This is the state of mind in which we find David at the beginning of this prayer. Now one preacher described David's state of mind as likened to some great battlefield at nightfall. This is after the battles happened where the battle has been wild and brutal and all about lie the dead and dying and the whole world seems to wail in desperation and pain and hopeless agony. Pierced and bleeding souls suffer and cry and each one says me and my with a dreadful sense of ownership. Everyone feels they are the chief and greatest sinner before God. Oh, what a burden. Our sin is. Which one of us can bear it? And then to make matters worse, we have the curious predicament of always bringing offense against the only person who can also forgive and cleanse us. Isn't that ironic? You will always be offending the only person who can do something about your state. Now, human nature is, the more you hurt me, the less inclined I am to help you. And I think in our minds, we wrestle with that when we think of God. How can God continue to want to hear from me when I wrong Him so often? Sin is a source of great dread. For we know in the deepest recesses of our heart, verse 4, it is, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Sin is a poisonous cocktail of fear and shame. The unsaved person, they will find pleasure in sin. But once your soul is quickened, there's an end to this. Sin now makes us feel vile and loathsome. Its touch is defilement. Its presence is abhorrent. Its effect are dreaded, are dreaded as the most terrible. You know, there are a lot of people that like to drink Coca-Cola. I like cola myself. I like it knowing that it's too sugary, that it can make me unhealthy, that I can swiftly outgrow this vest that I'm trying to wear if I drink too much of it. The effects are slow moving though, it's not instantaneous, so it's easy to have a Coke now and again. 
but did you know that Coke can remove rust? Did you know that it can cause osteoporosis because it can also eat away your bones? Now, if we saw these effects instantly and acutely, we might not be so inclined to drink soda. But we don't see right away that it's corrosive and dangerous. We don't see that it causes lasting harm and that that harm is sometimes irreparable. We have a tendency to live only in a short-sighted moment and say, well, I see what it did to that person, but you know, I have good breeding going on in my gene pool, so I'm going to be just fine. And you can replace that with cigarettes, alcohol, fatty foods, fast food, whatever you want. Whatever that vice is, just think about something that's harmful that you ingest in your body and that takes a toll on your physical well-being. Sin works just like this in our spiritual and physical bodies. It damages both. The problem is that it is slow moving and its corrosion isn't necessarily noticed until real life-changing damage has been done. Now if you're taking sin into your life knowingly, perhaps willingly, and you haven't done anything about it, I can assure you that it is literally eating you alive. And it's making you hallucinate about God's blessings, provision, direction, will, and care for your life. Clint mentioned this in his prayer, this exact thought. You will not see God's goodness. You'll fixate on the bad. Even though Paul told us to only focus on those things which are good. There is no man or woman more miserable than the Christian who has experienced the cleansing power of God in their life and then been made dirty again by sin. And isn't it true that when we find ourselves again dirtied up by sin, that everything around us that still maintains its freshness and purity starts to condemn us, puts us to shame. Those pure things show us what we've lost. And they intensify our pain and sorrow. So what do we do? We push further away from them. We push further away from the church, further away from God, further away from His Word. Sometimes that shame and fear causes us to behave not as a soldier of Christ, not as a joyful pilgrim spreading the good news, but as a defeated, cynical, bitter person who is hardly distinguishable from the lost of this world. Undealt with sin can render us absolutely useless in the cause of Christ. Because we're struggling with our personal relationship with God. You're not alone though. We all go through that. There's an old hymn that says, uh, Let him have his way with thee. Well, when we allow ourselves to be driven into hiding from God, from the church, from the work that God has given us, we're letting Satan have his way with us instead. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to take the worker out of the field because they feel dirty, useless, and unfit for purpose. Do you ever feel that as you live in this world that you're a farce, a fraud, a fake? Satan wants that. Satan wants us to feel like we live our lives merely as actors, where we portray a character we say the right lines, we put on a fancy costume, we even receive applause and praise from the audience of our peers, but we're actually living a lie. Do you ever feel that way? Satan wants that. 
If that describes you, if that has ever described you, just know you are in good company. And have hope. Because David was there as well. Paul was there as well. I'm there all the time. Let's see what David did as we continue to read. He repented. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Or put another way, these two verses say the following, I've been out of step with you for a long time. In the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new true life. That's what David said. That is what we must do. Precious friend, do you need to repent? If you do, have you come to the point where you're broken over your sin? I'm not just speaking to the lost. I'm speaking to the saved Christian. I'm speaking to the man or woman of God who has undealt with sin in their lives. Just as David the man of God, the premier type of Christ had. David was burdened by his sin, and today, brother or sister in Christ, you too may be burdened by your sin. Notice, David did not say he would pull himself up by his own bootstraps, that he'd get this under control. No, he told God he was done struggling to handle things himself. He needed God to step in and get to the heart of the matter, a place where David couldn't reach even though he wanted to. We have to cast aside pride and beg God for help. What comes next in this prayer is what we need. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Here we see the utter desperation of David's prayer coupled with his supremely confident hope and confidence in God's ability to clean him. When guilt burdened, Penitent David says, wash me. He's certain that he's reached the point at which he cannot wash himself. This is of key importance. So often we get twisted in knots over sin that we cannot handle ourselves. And there is some level of pride or even disobedience in our heart that prevents us from repenting and begging for help. We have to let God do things His way. David accepts help on the helper's terms. So let's look at those terms. What is hyssop? In the Old Testament, dried hyssop was used to sprinkle blood as part of the Jewish Passover. It's what they used to paint the blood onto the frame of the door. <clears throat> hyssop was also mentioned in the Bible for its cleansing effect in connection with plague, leprosy, chest ailments, and symbolically in cleansing the soul. Leviticus 14 verses 5 through 7 spells out the cleansing process that was to be used to make the leper clean. Where leprosy is a picture of sin because it defiles and it spreads over your whole body and destroys a person. In Bible times, hyssop was used as an herb and oil as a purifier. The name actually means holy herb. And it was used in rituals, teas, wound healing, and baths. The easiest method to use hyssop is by adding some liquid extract to your cleaning water. David understood that he needed a special type of cleaner. He needed the spiritual cleansing of God. He didn't need more willpower. He didn't need a different circumstance. 
He didn't need anything that he could do for himself. He needed something greater from God. David was asking for more than the ceremonial ritual cleansing of blood, uh, sorry, of bulls and goats. He knows he still needs blood. Hebrews 9.22 says that without shedding of blood, there is no remission. But the blood from animal sacrifice was not enough. So he asked that that blood sacrifice be augmented, be enhanced by an agent symbolized by hyssop. Hyssop represents Christ, the Son of God. And when it is His blood that is applied, true cleaning can occur. There is power in the blood. David essentially says, God, you purify me with your spiritual antiseptic and I will be purified indeed. Because the ritual and ceremony that accompanies the blood of bulls and goats, the efforts of mankind to be righteous and good, it just isn't cutting through the grime. And Lord, I am sick of the grime. Lord, I've been out of step with you for a long time. I've been in the wrong since before I was born. God, I know that what you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then and conceive a new, true life. You see, David at this point is broken by his sin. He is desperately throwing everything out there before God and saying, here's the broken pieces, God. I'm not even going to fumble through them anymore. Please. Heal me. Have you ever truly been broken over your sin? You may have been in the past and something might have crept in again and you might really need to focus in. Ask yourself, are you broken over it? Do you want forgiveness? Because the only way you don't have it is if you don't want it. And if you don't want it, you can't be broken. You can't be broken, or you can't not be broken and want it. <laughs> And there's another interesting fact about hyssop that I want to point out here. It's an excellent aid for regulating blood pressure. It's considered a heart tonic. When uh, in your body, when your blood pressure is too low, it can balance it. And when it gets too high, it can decrease it. Hyssop strengthens your heart both physically and spiritually. Now on the board are some symptoms of high blood pressure. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you have undealt with sin in your life, especially as a saved Christian. Your blood pressure is off the charts, isn't it? One minute you're depressed, the next you're anxious and angry. You lash out, and then you become despondent. Perhaps we have a nosebleed because we keep our noses too high in the air with pride. Perhaps we have trouble seeing clearly because we focus everywhere but on God. Perhaps we experience some facial flushing due to constant anger or maybe embarrassment and shame. I imagine some people have some trouble sleeping. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Understand this, undealt with sin will prevent your rest, both physically and spiritually. Sin is producing all kinds of negative effects in our bodies. It will take away peace and joy. It will impact and harm your spiritual and physical health. I sat around, as I always do, coming up to my time when it was time to speak, wondering what in the world am I going to speak about this time? And I always pray that God will guide me and give me something. And typically what happens is I have little things here and there that start coming to my mind and 
I'll even start working on a lesson and then halfway through I'll switch. And you know, I was really struggling this time because I felt tenseness and struggle inside. And it was just hard to be joyful. I keep telling myself intellectually how to approach each day in life. Have wonderful company and Clint to do it with as we work together now. And yet there's just a heaviness inside. And as I prayed about it, I came to the conclusion that I needed the help of the great physician. There is always some level of sin creeping into our lives. But what is not always there is us taking our medicine, seeking it out. Praise God, there is a remedy for sin. God has provided us the miraculous hyssop that is His Son, Jesus Christ. David saw this, and he asked God to give him that blessed medicine. Have you taken your medicine? Have I? We have to remember that we don't gain immunity to sin. It's not a one-time vaccination. There's a whole lot of talk about vaccinations going on right now. Some people might say, I already took my medicine. For me, I could say, well, I took my medicine and was baptized back in August of 1990. I received a blood transfusion from Christ. Praise God. But let me ask you something. Will there ever come a time when I can afford to stop receiving that blood? Does my body start producing that life-saving, cleansing blood on its own even after I've been baptized? Can I afford to wander away from Christ and live any way that I want because I have been cleansed by that blood? Absolutely not. We are continually in need of and experiencing the spiritual cleansing of Christ's blood until we're called home. That's the way it is in this world. In Romans 6, Paul delivers his well-known teaching on the fact that grace is not a license to sin. There must be a heart change. There must be an effort to obey as servants of righteousness and an understanding that we are still prone to wander. And we will from time to time return to the sin from which we have been set free. Now the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart in Acts 13.22. Imagine God saying that about you. David must have been the exception, right? He must have been, you know, the type of guy who had a special kind of strength that not common today, right? I guess David did not struggle with sin like you and I do, right? Not so fast. This man, after God's own heart, in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 3, we see the account of the beginning of a sin that caused David to write the psalm we're reading from this morning, Psalm 51. He committed adultery, which led him to be deceptive and try to cover his sin, which then led him to murder a man who was not only innocent, but extremely loyal to him. Then he went through the charade of grieving for this man at his funeral, and then as soon as the funeral was over, he took the man's wife as his own. And then he tried to go on living like nothing had ever happened. He refused to face his sin until a prophet of God called him to account for it. 
That sounds like something I would do. Sounds like something you would do. Doesn't necessarily sound like something a man after God's own heart would do, does it? And yet he was. And I believe when we are saved and Christ's blood is applied, we are all men and women after God's own heart. And like David, we are susceptible to stumbling and falling, but we can get back up. We have to get back up, though, is the point. We have to address these things. We cannot be so ashamed that we fail to deal with the sin that inevitably creeps in. David became a liar and a betrayer all because he tarried. Because he sent others into the field for God and he did not go himself. He was lingering on a rooftop because he wasn't out in the battlefield where he was supposed to be. He didn't go looking for sin, but sin found him because he was tearing on the rooftop. And the perspective that I want to accentuate this morning is that David did all these things after he had been dedicated to God. After. Friends, we must ask ourselves, am I lingering on the rooftop while God's battle is raging in the distance? How long before catastrophe strikes if we choose to remain on that rooftop when God is calling us into the battlefield? If you're experiencing warning signs that your spiritual blood pressure is up, perhaps it's time you take your medicine. Submit to the cleansing power of the hyssop that is Jesus Christ and deal with the sin in your life. You see, David, he got too confident. He got complacent about God's support. He got too comfortable being chosen by God and he stopped receiving that cleansing medicine of God for a while. Perhaps that was in the form of daily prayer, meditation, reading the Scripture, seeking God's will instead of his own. Who knows? But the result was that he became vulnerable. He got sick. He became overburdened. He lost his joy. He impeded his fellowship with God. Willful, unrepented of sin separates from God. I'm not saying that to be hated. That is what the Bible says. It stuns me that people say, don't you tell me that God's not approving of me and He's not with me in what I'm doing day to day because of my sin. Well, fine, I won't. God already did it anyway, so I don't have to. While doing some reading, I came across some commentary comparing marriage fellowship to our fellowship with God the Father. This writer said the following, Every married couple has experienced the temporary loss of fellowship when a word or action offends a spouse. There is a loss of closeness in the relationship. The root meaning of fellowship is oneness, to become one in marriage. But sin can break that oneness until the offense is dealt with through confession and forgiveness. The marriage doesn't end because of the offense, but intimacy is short-circuited. Charity could probably give you multiple examples of me doing this. It's always funny because I'm usually the first to apologize. It's no coincidence. I'm usually the offender. And what will happen is a lot of times when she's still mad, I tend to be like a flashbang type person. Bam, I'm mad or say something stupid or act in a bad way. I'm unkind, whatever. I'm a real expert at that. And then immediately after, when I see the effect, I'm sorry. So I want to go up. I'm sorry, 
give her a hug and she pulls away. What's the matter with you? And then I start to get upset over that. Isn't that how it goes? Our fellowship has been short-circuited. Our marriage is not ending. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But intimacy is short-circuited. I'm not going to get a hug from that woman for a while. doesn't matter what I say. Now, it's the same with us and God. Our sin separates us from God until it is dealt with. God sent Jesus in the world to deal with our sins so that we might be reconciled to God and have our oneness with Him restored. That's 2 Corinthians 5.19. What happens if we sin as believers? We're not lost. Our relationship with God is not set aside. But our fellowship with Him is interrupted until we say about our sin what God says about our sin. That is, we confess Confess literally means to say the same thing. Because of Christ's sacrifice for our sin, we can be forgiven. And fellowship with God can be restored. That's 1 John 1 verse 9. Do not let sin short-circuit your fellowship with God. Confess and be reconciled to Him. A.W. Tozer once said, The fellowship of God is delightful beyond all telling. That is so true. But like Dwayne said this morning in his opening remarks, sometimes we don't dwell enough on how peaceful, content, and happy we are when we're in right fellowship with God. But when that fellowship is broken, when we're living a lie, when we're trying to pretend that we're right with God, when we're not, you won't be able to dwell on anything but that. It's funny how that works, isn't it? We take for granted all the good, but when the bad comes, it's overwhelming. The reality is, before we can repent, we have to be broken over those sins. If you cannot repent, you are not broken. As I said before, David became so broken over his sin that he asked God to be washed until he was whiter than snow. What is whiter than snow? Nothing in nature. But in the kingdom of grace, there is such a thing. Up here, I've got two versions of the, the rest of this passage that I was looking at for this morning. Verses 7 through 15 and on the left is the King James, <clears throat> which I love. That's my preferred translation. But on the right is a version I never use, the message. I don't like paraphrased versions of the Bible. But in this case, I'm going to read from it because I like what it says. Uh, the way that it says it. It's like uh, bringing it down to such a, a level that just applies so well to everyday life. Soak me in your laundry, and I'll come out clean. Scrub me, and I'll have a snow-white life. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes, but give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. God, give me a job teaching rebels your ways so that the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God. And I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God. I'll let loose with your praise. When you're restored to fellowship, you can't help but dance with joy 
where before the bones were broken and they wouldn't support you, now they're mended so strong and you're filled with energy and you want to sing and you want to praise and you're just overflowing like a fountain with the joy and the peace and the excitement of the Lord. Some people say, well, when you first come to the Lord, you feel that, but over time you kind of get used to it. It's like being married. I've seen my wife so many times, you know, it just doesn't do the same as when she was 16. That's nonsense. I heard somebody rightly say one time, it's a challenge to us men, if you don't love your wife more now than when you first met her, then odds are you don't love her at all. And we should never think that that exuberance, that joy that we had when we first came to Jesus, we should never think that that's natural for that to fade away. Do you like to sing? Do you get excited when somebody says, let's praise the Lord? Or do you fall asleep, think to yourself, here we go again. Let's just hope it's not such and so because they're going to be going for a long time. This lesson has been primarily for the Christian today. The truth of the fallen condition of mankind is that we are prone to wonder. And too often I feel like we're dealing with the consequences of sin in our life. We are dealing with them, but we're too ashamed. And we're in denial, so we don't deal with it. And when this happens, we may end up failing to repent. And when we fail to repent, those reverberations in our life from that failure to deal with sin, they can be devastating like an earthquake in a city. But it need not be that way. We have a great hope, a merciful and gracious Savior and a direct line of communication from the sovereign creator of the universe, thanks to the indwelling Holy Spirit making intercession for us. We will get dirty sometimes. But we have the means to get clean. Praise God. 1 John 1, verses 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, in choosing the cleansing agent for our sins, He chose the very best He had, the blood of His Son. It is by the precious blood of our Lord that we're cleansed from our sins. So, what I want to do this morning is... I want to end by giving you some strong encouragement because if you leave here today feeling down, depressed, anxious, worried, mad, offended, it just means that I struck a nerve and you are still refusing to deal with sin in your own life. However, what can happen is we can leave here today with mended bones, dancing right out the door, full of joy. And I want to read you a few verses so that we end with our perspective exactly where it needs to be. Psalms 86, verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. God's an amazing person. 
He actually wants to forgive us no matter how many times we sin, no matter what we've done. He wants to forgive us. Psalms 103, 11 through 12. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Do you know how long it takes to walk from east to west? Forever. Because the east and the west are not fixed points, they're directions. God is always moving in the direction of forgiveness and is forever leaving our sin behind Him. Isn't that wonderful? Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Can God actually forget something? No. He is omniscient. But what he does do is he chooses not to remember. He blanks the slate. He clears the hard drive. He burns the record. God chooses forgiveness like he chooses to love the unlovable. And I want you to consider something in a relationship with anyone. It is always more reliable, a relationship that is built on choosing to love rather than feeling or acting in response to what a person deserves because we can fall out of favor. We can fail to do the right thing. Fortunately, God does not forgive us for just as long as we're pleasing to Him or just as long as we live without sin. Instead, God forgives based on Jesus' completed work alone. Micah 7.19 He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. This is my favorite verse for the morning. I love this verse. Think of that sin that you cannot control in your life. Think of that thing from your past that is haunting you. God says He will attack those things Himself. He will pin them down. He will squeeze the life from them. And then He'll hog tie them. He'll find the deepest part of the ocean and He'll chuck them in there, as it were. Imagine if you could throw something into the deepest part of the ocean, which I've got up there on the board where that's at. Would you ever see it again? Would you be reminded of it? Could you retrieve it? No, no, and no. It is the same with our sin that God forgives us. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. You might think that your sin produces such a sight that it cannot be hidden. I hear this all the time. You don't know what I've done. And there is nothing that irritates me quite so much as that when I'm talking to somebody about an issue that's keeping them from God. Because it, the Bible just goes out of its way to say that's not possible. The sun is blinding in its radiance, right? You can't even look at it without going blind. And some people view their sins that way. I know some of my sins seem to shine pretty brightly too. They're ever-present in my mind's eye. But think of what happens to the sun when a thundercloud rolls in. Regardless of how bright the sun is, 
You cannot see through that cloud, can you? That is what God says happens when He forgives our sins. He rolls the cloud of Jesus' blood in front of the sun of our sin, and you cannot see through it. And you're never going to see through it. And the only thing He sees is Christ and His righteousness when you apply that blood. Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your, skins, uh, your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's what David wanted. Christ's blood washes us in just this way. And finally, Romans 4, 7-8, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Precious friend, what more do you need to know? What more do you need to hear? Don't let your sin burden you down any longer. Don't let your joy be poisoned with the grief of failure. Don't live another moment in sadness, anger, regret, doubt, inaction, bitterness, fear. Do as David did. Humble yourself. Acknowledge your sin before God. Cry out to Him for forgiveness. He wants to hear you say it. He already knows you did it, but He wants to hear you say it. Confess means to agree with Him. You tell Him exactly what you did and acknowledge it was wrong and beg His forgiveness and He will forgive you. He will turn your bitterness to joy. He'll turn your fear into peace. He'll turn your tears into testimonies of praise. He'll turn your doubts into courage. He'll turn your anger into compassion. He'll turn your doubt into calm assurance, and He will turn your inaction into a reaction of the Holy Spirit that is so strong, you won't be able to sit still. So if you're here today, and you need to be baptized, or you'd like the prayers of the church, if you want to stop pretending, if you want to stop hiding, and if you want to throw the pieces before God, and have them cleansed and healed, what are you waiting on? We would love to pray for you. If there be one of either case, we ask you to come forward, take a seat on this front bench, and we'll help you out as we stand and sing the invitation song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479 647 Five, eight. May God bless you.